Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, yes, yes. Welcome into another edition of Questions from the Audience on the Tim McKernan Show from HomeLoanExpert.com Studios. I am your host, Tim McKernan, alongside executive producer John Seymour for his farewell edition of the Tim McKernan Show. The Questions from the Audience in the HomeLoanExpert.com Studios. The Seamaster who built this thing from the ground up with me is moving on to... The insurance industry, but uh, without the Seamaster, we would have never, ever lasted uh, the 10 months that we have lasted on this podcast, and we certainly wouldn't be where we are as a radio show without the Seamaster. So we are very grateful to him for putting up with all the fun and games that come with being involved in sports talk radio. Uh, and uh, and I want to make sure that I thank him for all of his work here on the program because uh, it, was, it was me and the Seamaster for... Uh, just sitting in the studio here for, for nine, ten months and driving around for interviews and so on and so forth. And, uh, and without the Seamaster, we, we wouldn't have built this thing. So tip of the cap to the Seamaster, and you get to sit through one final questions from the audience where I babble on and on with questions that you submit at teamacurnan at insidestl.com or on the TMA Facebook page. Uh, and you're welcome to send them in at any time. Without our sponsors, we wouldn't have the podcast. And Ryan Kelly, the HomeLoanExpert.com, is our studio sponsor. And and so many people, I think, get caught up in the idea of, well, you know what? Credit card debt's just the way life's going to be, and we're just going to have to navigate that. Well, it doesn't have to be that way. The circumstances have to be right in order to get out of it, and the circumstances are right right now. Here is what you got. You've got home values at a record high, and you've got interest rates still super low. Take advantage of it. Get a cash-out refi, and then take that money and pay off the high-interest-rate credit cards and clean the slate. You can do that right now with the HomeLoanExpert.com and Ryan Kelly. And if you're buying a home, there's nobody better to go to than the HomeLoanExpert.com. Ryan Kelly, a first-class person who runs a business that people admire because he not only continues to grow throughout the region— but he practices what he preaches when it comes to charity and philanthropy in the community. You wouldn't experience a better buying or refi experience than you could with Ryan Kelly and the HomeLoanExpert.com team. Ryan Kelly online at the HomeLoanExpert.com. Now, I've known Ryan for seven or eight years since he's been the title sponsor of the Ryan Kelly Morning After on 590 The Fan, KFNS, and InsideSTL.com. But 
I just got to know James Carlton of the James Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency. And I'm glad I did because this guy is somebody who's going to be around for a long time, just like Ryan. This is the person you want to be handling your insurance. James Carlton, State Farm Insurance Agent, based out of Webster Groves, 314-961-4800, 314-961-4800, or go online at carltoninsurance.net. Why James Carlton? Well, the customer service is second to none. That's A number one. Uh, he went out of his way to make sure that he hired seven people. That is a big staff so that the job would get done and that if you call, you know you're going to speak with someone during business hours. I mean, how often do you call and and see something along the lines of, well, I got an automated call, now press one, and now I'm being sent to a voicemail. It's not the way it is. And some might call it old school. I think it's the right way to operate, and that's what James Carlton does. And then secondarily, this guy knows the industry. And, hey, tip of the cap, if you're going to be passionate about insurance, he is. And he knows this industry, and he has been very helpful to me and a number of our listeners who have made the switch. And if you're going to make the switch, I'm sure you're thinking, oh, I have no interest in all that BS. It's going to take forever. Well, here, here's the deal. They do, the, they do all the work for you. They do all the work for you. They'll take care of it because they know you don't want to take care of it. 314-961-4800. Have somebody handling your insurance who you know knows the business and who know cares about the business. James Carlton is that, is that somebody. 314-961-4800 online at carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs like an arm, call James Carlton, State Farm. And finally, Johnny Landoff Chevrolet. The Landoffs have been doing it in St. Louis for decades. I mean, we're talking about 80 decades, 80 years. You're going back to the 1930s. That's how long it's been. Johnny's dad started it up, and now Johnny's sons are working out there as well, and it truly is a family business. They're online at Landoff.com. They're located at Highway 270 and the Washington Elizabeth exit. My wife just get her car there. Recommend you get your cars there. They have an incredible selection of new and pre-owned vehicles. It's all at Johnny Landoff Chevrolet online at Landoff.com. If you love the podcast, if you love the interviews, if you love questions from the audience, please make sure you support our sponsors and give us a positive review, if you would, on iTunes or wherever you may podcast. So, without further ado, let's go into some questions from the audience. And we start with this one on the TMA fan page on Facebook. It comes from Charlie. What's the story behind leaving school eight credit hours short of graduation? How did you get hired without graduating? Good question. Uh... We joke about it on the show. I joke about it um, in a self-deprecating way, but never really go into the story and, and how and why. So here is uh, here is what here's what happened. So the first, well, the whole reason I went to journalism school is because I truly believed in high school I was going to play major league baseball. So there's there's the delusions of grandeur already rooting, you know, back in the 1990s. Uh, then I got cut from the freshman team, and you're like, oh, you know, the coach is an idiot. So that that's the reason. It has nothing to do with the fact that I'm like 5'2", and the bat's bigger than me, and I'm 15 years old. So that's going to be a problem. But then uh, I made sure, I, for real, the, the day after I got cut from the freshman baseball team at St. Louis U High, I immediately went into the weight room because I just, I just had to do something and would meet with the varsity coach every day, and he would give us what we call the tip of the day, on some baseball fundamental. Did this every day for a year. I'm dead serious. You may, college football fans or area high school football fans may remember the name Steve Schnur. He was the quarterback at St. Louis U High. 
Uh, he was, I think, a senior when I was a freshman. Uh, wound up quarterbacking Northwestern in the Rose Bowl against USC, beat Notre Dame in South Bend, which was a huge upset at the time. Uh, Jason Dulick, uh, who was a great wide receiver at Illinois, who is my second cousin, uh, set all kinds of Illinois wide receiving records. Um, he was there at the time. And uh, and I remember Schnur, because I mean, I had to look like like some kind of puppet in there, would go, what are you doing in the, I mean, you know, nothing, what are you, you know, he's like, you should be like a wrestler with your build. But I'm like, oh, I want to try and make the baseball team. And and I think he's just like, oh, you might be a little young to start lifting weights because I was young for my class. So I guess I was in the weight room actually when I was 14. And I look back on them and go, what in the hell was I doing? Maybe I would have been 6'3 if I wouldn't have started lifting weights at 14. But alas, I did because I wanted to make sure I made the baseball team the next year. And I did, but I developed some kind of Steve Sachs, Chuck Knobloch, Rick Ankeel throwing situation on easy ground balls hit to me. Uh, as the starting second baseman and leadoff man for the sophomore team. And, and when you can't throw the ball to first base uh, on easy ground balls, it makes you what they call a liability. And uh, that, that really knocked me off track. And I still wanted to be involved with baseball, even though it was becoming clear I wasn't going to play for the Cardinals. And I remember seeing Lou Holtz do a press conference, and he said something along the lines of, the key to happiness in life is finding something you love to do, and somebody dumb enough to pay you to do it. And so at that point, I'm like, well, I love the Cardinals, so I'm going to go on track to to be a broadcaster. That's what I'll do. That'll be my uh, fallback position, as if, like, that'll be easy. So as the oldest of four, uh, and at that time, I had a sister born in 1990, and I'm looking at colleges in 1992. That's how big of the age gap is. Uh, for me, as the oldest to her, as the youngest, uh, I looked at. I remember looking at Indiana. I looked at Miami, Ohio. They both had very good communication schools. But I remember thinking to myself, the best journalism school is Missouri, uh, or one of at the very least, along with Northwestern and Syracuse at the time. And you know, it'll help my family out if I stay in state. And it's 125 miles down the road, so that's what I'll do. And so once I knew I was going to Missouri, I just kind of shut it down academically at St. Louis U High. Uh, I'm like, I'm, I, you know, I got into Missouri, uh, and I'm, I'm good. So, I mean, my GPA, my senior year was just hideous. And that same philosophy applied to once I got into the journalism school at Missouri, the first two years, you have to get good enough grades to get into the journalism school. And I got in. And then at that point I had told myself, and I'm, I guess I was right, but I wouldn't necessarily advocate this, that my grades no longer matter. Because what's going to matter is what is on my resume reel. Uh, at the time, VHS tapes these days, they're online reels for people uh, going into broadcasting. And so I could have a four or five, but if my tape sucks, I'm not going to get hired. So I'm just like, all right, this justifies me blowing off class. I would maybe take 12 hours of classes. I mean... I don't know. I truth. I, I know this. I developed a sleeping habit where I would sleep until around noon. Uh, and then I would work at KOMU, which is the NBC affiliate in Columbia. It's the University of Missouri affiliated TV station. And and that's what I that's what I focused on. But it's not like I was like out there grinding on that stuff, too. That was kind of like a click. And I felt like I was like the black sheep because I didn't put in the work. But my sports casts, which were total ripoffs of. Sports Center in the late 1990s, so Dan Patrick, Keith Olbermann, I mean, a very cheap version of those, of course. Uh, and then also my influence of Howard Stern kind of came to fruition with these sports casts. And I look back on it and I said some shit 
that now I would never say, but I would say when I was anchoring these sportscasts, and I would get off the anchoring desk, and they'd be like, a bunch of people called in and said, you got you can't let that kid on the air ever again. And then they'd be like, yeah, but two people called in and said they loved it. And that was kind of the way that it worked. And having just watched Howard Stern's movie Private Parts, where there's the scene in which uh, the, the sales manager says to the program director, the GM, uh, the average time spent listening is, is, a, is 45 minutes for the people who love them. Okay, yeah, but what about the people who hate them? Well, they listen for even longer. And so in my mind, I'm following that path. Again, just, I mean, just delusion, just disgustingly delusional. But this is what I'm thinking. This is what's honestly going on in my mind. And so it's not, it's not even crossing my mind that I might not be really appealing to a large base of people in a business that usually is about as vanilla as it can get, local TV. I mean, shit, could it get any more vanilla than that? But that's what, that's what I was doing. And the whole point of going to the University of Missouri was to go to be the Cardinals broadcaster, just like 50,000 other, you know, 20-somethings in St. Louis who thought they were going to replace Jack Buck. Uh, but I mean, I'm anchor all of a sudden I'm like, I'm anchoring. What the hell am I doing? I, this isn't what I went to school for. Fortunately, you start sending out tapes. And at that time I was getting a lot of, Hey, would you like to work here? But it's not like, Hey, would you like to work in New York? Or, hey, would you like to work in LA or Chicago? When you're 21, as I was, it's, it's Binghamton. I remember Binghamton, New York. I remember Medford, Oregon, uh, whatever the city is in Mississippi that has this college where Jerry Rice went to school. And I remember the news director going, listen, there's not a lot going on here, but Jerry Rice did go to school. It's like he was embarrassed that he was in Fayetteville, Arkansas, Fort Smith, Arkansas. And and then I had a decision, and I guess I was 22, because this was like May of 1998, between Little Rock and Monterey, California. And... Initially, and that's where those were the two offers. I'm like, okay, now it's time. I got to make a decision. Uh, this is 1999. This is 99. And uh, and I remember talking to Rich Gould, and he's going, Junior, are you? Because I interned for him in 97. He goes, Junior, are you asking me whether or not to go to Arkansas or the most beautiful place in the mainland, Pebble Beach? Is that what you're asking me? Junior, I'm disappointed in you. I must not have taught you well. And I said, yeah, Rich, but I mean, the guy told me I can't even afford a car on the salary I'd have. They wouldn't even fly me out to look at the station. They just want me to drive across the country and then move there. And it's, you know, it's the equivalent of, you know, living below minimum wage in St. Louis when you adjust for cost of living and living in a place as nice as Monterey. And then Little Rock, I wouldn't have a contract, which was appealing to me because that way I could go if and when something else came up. Plus, Little Rock was market 57, which doesn't sound very big. St. Louis is market 21 for the record right now. Uh, and uh, and that was a pretty big market to start out, coming out of school. And so I remember talking to Malcolm Briggs, and he he told me to go to Little Rock. I remember that. I remember this being in the, in the Bush Stadium press box in 1999. I was just asking guys, and they didn't even know who I was. I just was some random dude. Uh, and I think Malcolm had some ties to Arkansas and he advocated for Little Rock. I obviously chose Little Rock. Who knows what would have happened had I chose uh, Monterey, being close to San Francisco. I'm, you know, I, I don't know if I ever come back to St. Louis. Uh, but I chose Little Rock. And at that point, um, I still had eight hours left uh, at the University of Missouri. And obviously, I'm getting job offers and I, I haven't knocked out the uh, graduation. I, I did walk which was a whole thing. I'm embarrassed by that. There's still a picture of me accepting a diploma, except it's just the case of the diploma because there is no diploma from the dean of the journalism school. And uh, my, my grandmother's, 
May they rest in peace were there with my family. And I remember I just was in a really banty rooster mood that day. It was a rainy, cold day. I walked in December of 1998. And I think the reason I was a banty rooster that day, pissy, for those of you not familiar with our new uh, term from the lexicon of the Ryan Kelly morning after, is because I felt like the whole thing was a farce. But I think my dad had said something along the lines of, listen, you got you to gotta get your ass out of there. This is four and a half years. There's no need for you to still be down there playing around. I still got three kids to put through college. You're down there jacking around, Timmy. Wrap it up. December 98. That's it. So I'm like, okay, I'll wrap it up. I can walk. Well, that doesn't mean anything. I think I could go down there right now and walk again, but I didn't graduate. Um, now, being real honest with you, I don't care in any capacity. It hasn't impacted my life in any capacity, but I, but I have a fake job. I mean, if we're going to be honest about this, this is not like I, you know, I'm getting an MBA from Wash U here. I, I, I talk about nonsense on the radio. So this isn't a path I would advocate for anybody. Uh, this is just how it worked for me. Now, I think Joe Buck and I have talked about it. He did not graduate. Uh, I don't believe Bob Costas graduated. I don't believe Matt Lauer uh, graduated. So in this business, and of course, I'm putting myself in their category. I mean, why wouldn't I, as an AM talk radio host in St. Louis, be right there with Joe Buck and Bob Costas? But the point being that it's a performance-based business. And and so you can have a four or five, but if you get on the air and you're fucking terrible, nobody cares about your four or five. So I was right on that, but I still, here's the thing, and this bothers me. And so I could still see me graduating for this reason and this reason alone, my late grandmother, my mom's mom, asked me to promise her that I would graduate as we sat at a restaurant in Columbia. Uh, and I told her I would. And so that if there's, if, there's, if there's one reason why I would wrap up eight hours just for the purpose of graduating, it would be because I made that promise and I feel like I have not uh, delivered on that promise to my grandma and it eats at me 20 years later, uh, especially when it's eight hours and in these days you can knock it out online and, and be done with it. So... That may happen, but that is the reason why I didn't. But at the same time, the reality is I absolutely could have. It just was, there was there was very little incentive. And if I don't have an incentive for something, I don't do it. So that's the reason behind it. It's a great question. It's not necessarily something that's really educational for anybody and not a route I would advocate, but that is, that's what actually uh, wound up happening. Uh, Craig, the CPA, with this question, what has helped your golf game the most, playing more or something in particular? I try not to have too many swing thoughts when I play, and I've been playing a lot more, but still shooting low 90s on average. That comes from Craig, the CPA. You know, the, the golf thing is very odd to me, uh, you know, talking about regrets and, and regretting not graduating from my grandma. I, I, it, one of my biggest regrets is stopping playing golf in 2004, 5-ish, uh, because I wasn't even 30 yet, and I just started playing poker and then for whatever reason like oh i'm just going to play poker i'm not going to play golf and that was it and that was it all the way until my brother got married in hilton head in july of 2016 i hadn't i don't want to say i hadn't picked up a club i think i had played maybe a couple of scrambles and maybe a couple of rounds in between 2006 and 2016 but that's it uh and that's my entire 30s and so now you know i mean i again i, I let, let, me, let me be clear here it's not like I'm out there shooting, you know, or scratch golf or anything like that. Um, but, you know, I mean, the most recent round I played, I was one under heading to the eighth tee. And, and then we had some problems. But the, the point being, 
there's certainly been great improvement. And so when I stopped playing in, in 2004, 2005, I was right where you were, Craig, the CPA, low 90s. If I broke 90, it was a good day. If I go out and play now and I shoot in the 90s, something went wrong, um, like pretty badly wrong. It's, it, it Can it happen? Yes. But it, it, I think at this point, there's a better chance of me being in the 70s than the 90s, although it's, it's the, 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 the median, I would say, is probably in the 84 range. My handicap's a 9.8. Uh, actually, I think it's 10.6 now. Point being, it's not like I'm a scratch golfer, but I've definitely improved. And I do wonder if the improvement in, in equipment has factored into this, but it's not like I'm a bomber. I actually swing really easy on, on tee shots. It's just, I think, I think one thing is being able to watch YouTube videos now versus 2004 or five, the information on improving is right there. And then also just having a love for it. If you love doing something and you want to practice and, and practicing is, is something that, that uh, is just because you love to go out and do it, well, inevitably there's going to be some improvement. So here, here's, here's an anecdote that's four days old. Um, I had a club championship match that uh, I, I won Saturday morning, uh, recording this on Tuesday. And uh, we had to come back because it got rained out. We were all square going to the 13th tee. And so we had, what, six more holes. And uh, fortunately, I was able to win it. And uh, and then I was going to be playing with Doug Vaughn from the show, uh, with Chris Raby from KMOX, and with Dan Henschel, who we talk about on the show. And Raby and I always bet. And I was up very comfortably on him. And it could have been a financially painful day for him. And then I just, I couldn't chip. And, I, and it's the thing that kills me. And I enter in, I was talking about in the previous questions from the audience, My Fitness Pal is an app that I would recommend for golf. I recommend Golf Logics because you can enter in your stats after each hole. Where did your drive go? Down the middle, left, right, slice, pull, hook. And then you can estimate the distance. And then, you know, how many putts it took to see how many putts you have each round. Uh, and, and, you know, whether it was, a, you know, how many pitches, how many chips you have. Then you get an idea of your up and down rate, which is a huge thing. Sand saves, and 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 people go. God, I, like Wellington, they'll go. What? Nah, who who enters this? I go. I entered. I get done with a hole. It takes me like thirty seconds. Okay, I got a five. Here's what happened. I drove it. I pushed it a little bit. Second shot off the green. Chip two putt. There it is. Where where'd you miss the putt? Left, right, and it gives you. I'm like, oh, I miss a lot of putts left. I must be pulling the ball. And you can use that data. I think that's helpful. But the biggest problem for me on Saturday with my, I don't want to call it an implosion, but it, it certainly cost me what would have been a very uh, nice financial afternoon to just an average one, was an inability to chip. And I play with producer Joe every now and again. And producer Joe would be, he would I'm sure he would say he's not a great golfer, he's improving, uh, probably like a 20 handicap would be my guess. But when you're around the green, and I'm talking about just off the green chipping, he's like Jordan Spieth. And I don't know who taught him. It's very basic. All he does is I think he takes either a seven iron or a nine iron, and then he just and he, just, he, he treats it like a putter, and he's within usually the, the gimme zone. God, at least sixty percent of the time. And and what that does for your game. Whereas I was hitting like a fifty six degree or a sixty degree from these shots, and then oftentimes you're like, like you're so precise, and then you you may decelerate through the swing, and then what do you do? You hit the ball like two feet. You might still be in the rough. Or you blade it, and then it goes flying across the green or into a bunker or into a hazard or OB or whatever the case might be. It's an absolute disaster. So the next day, 
I was really frustrated. I remember looking at my stats. I was one and one for nine up and down, which is just, just hideous. And I remember Wellington looking at my stats going, oh, we got to work on that one up and down rate. And that was back in, in February when I was in Florida working with Wellington. And and so I'm like this up and because what do you do? You go to a driving range, and you sit there, you might hit your seven iron, you might hit your three wood, you might hit your driver. But reality, the work needs to go in around the green. I'm talking about chipping and I'm talking about putting. So I've certainly worked on putting, but the chipping is what I needed to work on. And after that debacle on Saturday, I went up to to where I play and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to try this nine iron thing and just see, see if it works for me. Like, like I should have done that. I mean, I'm like, why didn't I do this sooner? But whatever, I didn't. So this is where we are. And I just start chip because we had him at Cletus and I, who you hear on the radio show or you talked about on the radio show, were a team in this two man tournament. And I think it was the semifinals. And I'm like, I got to get better with this. Otherwise I'm going to hurt our team. And then I start doing it on the practice green. I'm just like, God, this is like, I mean, I'm running this balls up. I'm almost holing out. This is, And it's so fucking easy. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to apply this and we'll see how it goes. I'm actually going to do this in a competition. And, uh, and it gave me some confidence. I want to putting from off the green on number one and birdieing it. And then I'm just off the green on number two. And I'm like, all right, it's the first time I'm going to run this thing out here. Here's the nine iron. I'm about, I don't know, 20 feet from the cup. Got a little rough in between me, then the fringe and the green and then the pin. And and what happens? Not only is it snug, it goes in for a birdie. And the people were playing are like, what in the hell is this? This guy's two under par through two. Uh, number, uh, number five at our course, which is a very difficult hole, easily the toughest course, the toughest hole in the course. And I nearly chip in for a birdie there. It's it's like a rotation away from a birdie there. Uh, I have a bad second shot on number six. What happens there? I have to use the nine iron. Again, this is now the third time in six holes that I'm doing this thing that I had never done before. And I use it, and it rolls into the gimme zone. And they're just like, what in the heck? Because the guy that, I, that I'm playing against, I had played with in the club championship match, and he saw how fucking hack I was. And is like, what in the hell is going on today? And the thing is, it's so easy. And so where you're going to shave your strokes, certainly if you're hitting the ball with a bad slice or you're pulling it and you'd have, you know, you're going to be hitting trying trees or you're hitting from hazards or, you know, OB and you're hitting three on the tee, that's a problem. But if you're getting to a point where low 90s, I, I would imagine the strokes gained are going to be with your play around the green, with chipping and pitching, and then with uh, putting. And there is a Jordan Spieth drill that uh, you can look up on YouTube where you set up and you give yourself points based on your execution of three different elements of a putt. And you set yourself up, I think, like 20, 25 feet away. And it helps you with your precision and your pace on your putts. And you set up your line with two tees so it becomes a gate to get your ball through. You get your, you give yourself a point if you get through the gate. And then the goal is is to leave the ball within... I don't know what the number is, like maybe 12 inches of past the cup, not inside the cup, past the cup. That way you get your ball there. So important. I mean, how many times for those of you listening who would be describe yourselves as weekend golfers that you leave the putt short because you don't want to blow it past? Well, if you don't get the ball there, it's not going in the hole. So you got to shoot to score, man. But you got to shoot to score responsibly. So you get a point if you can leave it within that range past the cup. And of course, you get three points if you hole the putt. 
And uh, listen, it's not like I'm some expert at putting, but there are these drills, and that's where you're going to shave strokes. When you when you talk to people who are great players in St. Louis, or you hear about great players in St. Louis, yeah, sometimes you go, oh my God, that guy's a bomber, you know, 350, like Chris Nagel, Wellington, you know, the guy Wellington was caddying for in the U.S. Open, bomber, out hitting guys on tour. But the short game that some of these guys you'll hear about in St. Louis have, uh, like, for example, somebody was saying when Drew Pranger, uh, who's a St. Louis and played with Adam Scott in the U.S. Open qualifier a few weeks ago, uh, was something along the lines of Adam Scott's caddy. He goes, God, this guy's short game. If he had, if Adam had this short game, he'd be, you know, he'd have a few more majors. Uh, that's where the strokes are. And I realize it's not as fun as grabbing your driver and just hauling off. But, you know, I mean, how many putts do you have each round? If you have a good round, it's around 30 or less. Uh, most likely it's going to be closer to 35 to 40, unfortunately, for the weekend golfer. Uh, and especially if you're putting, you know, everything out that's not inside the leather. And and, and how many drives are you going to have? You know, I mean, maybe, may, I mean, being liberal that you're using driver on every hole that's not a par 3, 14. So, you know, that's the illustration of where the strokes are. And that's not, of course, including chips and pitches and all that around the green. And, and that would be my, that would be my, as somebody who's a 10, so not like some wizard, that would be to me where you can pick up um, some strokes. Uh, and uh, finally, I want to give one more here. Uh, let's see. Uh, what are some of the positive things about St. Louis in your view? I need some bright spots in St. Louis to be proud of. How would you sell our region to someone not from here? That is from Corey. It's a great question. It's a great question to end the Sea Monster era of the podcast on because uh, it's it's perhaps maybe become the theme of our interviews. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's a politician or an athlete or a, a newscaster or a sportscaster. It seems like it's something that we've talked a lot about. It's not something that we started out with the goal of doing, but it's something that's certainly become a theme. So people asking me that question is absolutely fair game. Here is where I am. Um, I thought Vince Shamel, a recent guest from a couple of weeks ago, put it best. Uh, we there's a There's an embarrassment or almost an apology that people had when he was running for mayor in the 1980s, early 1980s, uh, about being from St. Louis. I don't know where that comes from, but I can tell you, I, I experience it myself. So it's not like I'm looking at this from a higher ground in an ivory tower. Um, so I think it starts there. Um, and, and it is a great city. It has been a great city. It's a great city that has issues right now. The best thing about that circumstance is that many of us are now acknowledging that there are issues uh, and that there is a need for change. Before you can have the change, there has to be an acknowledgement by the greater majority that there is a problem. And now we see it. And whatever was the impetus, whether it be Ferguson whether it be the Rams leaving, whether it be the MLS vote, whether it be crime, whether it being Washington Avenue uh, peaking and then declining as quickly as it did, whether it be whatever it is about St. Louis that you think is a problem, at least people are having that conversation right now. And I think that's a positive. I know it's not positive to have problems per se, but it's worse to have problems and not talk about them. And now we're talking about them. That's a good thing. 
I would also say this. How many people from St. Louis wind up being superstars in their industry? And I'm not just talking about, you know, a John Hamm, uh, you know, as an example in entertainment or, you know, Nelly is an example in music uh, or great athletes, you know, and what we've seen here with, with recent years with what Chaminade has turned out with incredible basketball players recently with, you know, over the last 15 years with David Lee and Bradley Beal and uh, Jason Tatum, uh, you know, or Max Scherzer, you know, and, and what we've seen with incredible uh youth hockey movement with all these players coming from St. Louis and being drafted so early. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not limiting to the glamour industries per se. I'm talking about people who get great educations in St. Louis and we're, you know, self-deprecating about our schools, but also there's some incredible schools here. There have to be, because look at the, the people who, uh, who are coming out of St. Louis here to me, I have two main, two main, focal points that I recognize are abstract, but from my standpoint are our two biggest issues. And one immediately alienates a portion of the audience. And I recognize that going in, but it's not going to silence my thought process. And that is the racial element. It is a real problem and it hamstrings this region. Um, Now, anybody can sit here and talk about problems. Leaders are the ones who provide solutions. But to me, if I were ever in a position where I were running for office, so help me, even though I was born and raised in South City, I would spend so much time on the North side because I don't know what it's like. But I just know that there are plenty of people who want to see improvements, but don't feel like their voices are being heard. But I can't just be the candidate of South St. Louis. And you also just can't be the candidate of North St. Louis. That's not how we're going to experience progress. But it's real. The racial problems are real. And, and, and it gets smacked around by saying, oh, it's, that's in the past. Or, oh, who cares? Or, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's exaggerated. Whatever the case might be. I'm just telling you, it's real and it hurts us. And for whatever reason, actually, I feel like it's gotten worse somehow uh, over the last uh, X amount of years. Um, and to hear, just to hear, just to listen, this is what my reality is. Okay, well, this is what my reality is. And I feel like progress comes when two people sit at a table and have a conversation. And then secondarily, young people, and I'm talking about people in their 20s, who may go and be you know, certain successful people, whether it be in business or other areas, who then go to school and then never return, or at least spend their 20s and early 30s in other cities. And when you're losing your young population, St. Louis has now become like a farm team for other cities. We're a triple A for Chicago, for Denver, uh, in some cases for Boston, New York, Los Angeles, whatever the case might be. Uh, To me, what young people are attracted to and what has allowed a lot of cities that were behind St. Louis 20 years ago to thrive is an urban core. Young people want proximity. Young people want energy. Young people want uh, a variety of restaurants with different kinds of culinary experts. Young people want different kinds of bars. Young people want things in an urban core. And unfortunately, we don't have that. And so then you ask yourself, well, why don't we have that? 
And then you got to dig into the whys. Crime, racism, setting a standard that makes young people not feel like living in St. Louis is the place to be. Now, I believe that we are at a point right now where we're on the upswing, but we're in the very early stages of the upswing. And I would buy stock in St. Louis. Why? Because of what I said at the very beginning. There is now a recognition from a large amount of people that we have problems. And so we're talking about our problems, which then leads to talking about our solutions. And then also that we do have young people in a very small capacity relative to other cities of our size and even smaller who are now part of these startup businesses. And that then brings people to St. Louis who otherwise wouldn't have been or it keeps people in St. Louis who otherwise would have moved away. And so I do think that's thriving. And I do think oftentimes that gets ignored, which is unfortunate. And I used to be a big um, spokesperson of sorts, self-appointed in some capacity for young people in St. Louis. Well, now at 41, I'm, I'm outside the demographic of the uh, 18 to 25 or 18 to 35, but it doesn't change my perspective. The birth of the morning grind, which now is the morning after, was a recognition that there was not a radio show for young people in St. Louis, or there weren't many if there were any. And therefore, I could take advantage of that by simply applying the theory of economics to communications. There is a demand. There is no supply. I shall provide the supply. Well, I would view the same circumstances for St. Louis right now. But you have to put young people in a position where they want to be here. You have to listen to young people. And what we need, from my perspective, is leadership that inspires because we do have great things here, both at our roots and also now with young people and people who have lived here for decades who want to see St. Louis return to where it was a few decades ago. So in that capacity, I am bullish on St. Louis. With that, I close out this edition of questions from the audience. I welcome yours anytime. T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you to our sponsors, Ryan Kelly, the HomeLoanExpert.com. Thank you to James Carlton, State Farm Insurance Agent, and thank you to Johnny Landoff Chevrolet online at Landoff.com and at Highway 270 and the Washington Elizabeth exit. That is where you will find Johnny Landoff. And this being the final edition of the Tim McKernan Show with the Sea Monster, the Sea Monster, thank you for starting this thing up with me. Thank you for putting up with me. And uh, without you, we wouldn't have anything with regard to this podcast and we would have never survived the fun and games that we experienced together at uh, cbs sports 920 so i thank you sir and i wish you the best in your future endeavors and insurance and i know you will be very successful god bless there he is john seymour who to the very end will adhere to his vow of silence (laughs) but god bless him as a great producer he did his job and he did his job with the best in the business. Time for us to shut it down for this edition of Questions from the Audience. Thank you to Johnny Landoff Chevrolet, thehomeloanexpert.com, our studio sponsors, and James Carlton State Farm Insurance. For the last time, for John Seymour, executive producer, I'm Tim McKernan. This has been the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the thehomeloanexpert.com studios.